Welcome to Indie Game Business, where you'll learn to navigate the industry with ease. This show is produced by the Powell Group, the leading business consulting firm in the gaming industry. Visit us online at IndieGame.Business to learn about our online digital events. We have some amazing sessions with people in the gaming industry, and you can participate for free and purchase inexpensive passes to our industry-leading business-to-business system. Now, here we go, Indie Game Business. everybody my name is indy and that gentleman right next to me is mr jay powell from powell group consulting and welcome to indie game business i wasn't here last week but that's okay i was riding my motorcycle my motorcycle thousand mile ride it was awesome but today's special guest what yeah it was awesome well it was 500 miles both ways one way okay i was like can you even walk (laughs) i mean my 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 butt was pretty sore but i got a pretty comfy comfy seat so that helps but our special guest today is Michael Brown from Vicarious PR, and we're also live on Discord. So if you want to check that out, discord.gg slash Indie Game Business. Also, I would very much love to thank our sponsor, Tripwire Presents. Awesome. Welcome yes. welcome back, Dan. We missed you last week when I had to manage all of the production crap myself. And so some of it probably worked and some of it didn't. Uh, but um, welcoming back our good friend. Michael Brown, Vicarious PR, who's been with us since day one on Indie Game Business, and we very much appreciate, uh, and who also just cost me a whole bunch of money because he told me I had to update my Powell Group branding that's been around for 12 years now. Um, So I should probably invoice you back for that, honestly. Well, no, I should. Shouldn't I take like a finder's fee, like a commission? Should you pay me, right? (laughs) That's like top quality consulting advice right there. Yes, telling me to go spend a lot of money. That that is a that, that that's top quality consulting there. You did it though, right? So you followed the advice. So you thought well, it was good advice. Yes. By your own admission. So just, billable. Shh, just shh, shh, shh. does that mean that we I get a new jar, a new uh new water jar? No, that's all the indie game business branded stuff that we sent out. We oh. have, I haven't made new I don't even have the new logo yet, so of course we haven't made it. Yeah, oh, I'm excited why, why, to see it. Once you get a new logo, since I've been here since day one, can we get like I was here before it was cool T-shirts? Wait, is it still, is it cool now? I don't know. Uh, let's let's pretend it is. It's. Cool I gave it's Jay some paid advice, and all I got was this. <laughs> all I got was this lousy T-shirt. <laughs> all right. So for the folks who do not know you, tell us how you got into the industry initially, and walk us through what you've done to this point. Sure. Um, so I'm Michael. I'm the CEO of Vicarious. Um, how did I get into the industry? Um, well, I was terrible at school and I left school at 16 and I was like, what am I going to do with my life? I know I'll play video games and I should probably get paid for it. So I tried to be a journalist for a little bit and then realized that I couldn't support a family on a journalist wage. And so I went to the dark side and started a PR company um, and now I have a PR company and a small publishing label. Um, 
And so, yeah, so we started out like that. Um, Vicarious, for those of you who don't know, um, our agency is run by myself and a bunch of other former journalists and content creators. Um, we specialize in three main things, PR, influencer marketing, and advertising. Um, and we take a holistic approach to PR and marketing. So um, we build campaigns um, designed around specific games and their genres, and we try to target it holistically rather than doing like traditional, let's write a press release and send it to everybody and hope for the best kind of thing. Um, and so, yeah, that's um, that's us in a nutshell, really. All right. So this is the point where I'm going to make you brag because you and I had like a two hour conversation last week at some point, And you mentioned this thing that you all pulled off, but you didn't really talk about it. Tell everybody on the last Steam Next Fest, how many of the top games came from you, your work and your clients. Sure. So, um, yeah, as for a PR person, I'm pretty bad at like promoting myself. Um, but yeah, I mean, for Next Fest, um, last October Next Fest, of the top 10 wishlisted games that were on the front page of Next Fest, eight of them were ours. Yes. So, so you kind of know what you're doing. I have got that. I've got that. I've got that particular aspect down to a, a fine art. And, until <laughs> Valve decide to change the algorithm, then I'm screwed. And it's back but, to but everybody on. gets to figure it out all, all over again. <laughs> yeah. So today we're talking about all the things that, you know, you have to do to make your game a commercial success. So this is where we always tell people, if you want to make games for an art or for a hobby, you don't have to listen to us. That's a completely different ballgame. We wish you the best and, and have a wonderful time with it. Um, for those of you who want to do this as your job and your career, build a company, you got to think about all of this, this shit. So from the get-go, what things do you have to keep in mind when you're actually deciding what kind of game you want to make? Um, I think what well, when you decide when you decide on what game you want to make, I think it's important to keep in mind that like just because you've got a good idea for a start doesn't make it a sellable idea. Um, ideas are everybody's got ideas, you know. I could come up with 12 game ideas right now doesn't mean any of them would be good i think you have to carefully look at not what you want to make in that sense but also look at what's the what's the situation in the market what games are people buying what what's popular what's not popular are there any gaps um in things that are popular is there unique hooks that haven't been done before and trying to establish like first off is there going to be a big enough audience for my game Right, because a lot of times, you know, there's a lot of games that are made with very, very niche audiences, and then you kind of get, you know, you don't want to end up in a situation where you you build a game, you're excited for it, and then it has no audience. You have to build to your audience. Now, that's not to say that you can't take risks and you can't take creative um, license and and do something new and try and, and try and push um, something different, but I think the core foundation of it has to come from a place of if you want to achieve commercial success, then build it for commercial success and not just creative vision in that sense, because you have to combine the two. Um, Cause too many games, particularly from indies um, and, and to a degree, you know, larger companies as well, but there's so many games that are made very insular in the, th in the fact that, you know, a bunch of people get together and think, Hey, this will be a great idea for a game with no forethought of 
will people like this? Will people buy this? Is this something people want? Um, and without that conversation, it you know it makes it very difficult to go anywhere from there because then you you spend three years in development and launch a game and have never thought once is this something that people actually want to buy and spend money on. At this point, are there <clears throat> types of games that nobody wants? To a degree, I think there there are there are certainly genres that are oversaturated. I mean, and, and, and we've all known, we've seen trends come and go. Zombies was a trend. Cyberpunk, you know, cyberpunk was a trend. <laughs> you know, so there's always trends that come and go as well. But I mean, there's also genres that are oversaturated because of the nature of the game. Because obviously building, building an XCOM-sized game um, with turn-based um, turn-based combat and, and RPG progression is infinitely more complex and more difficult to create than a puzzle platformer, right? And so you're going to get 10 times the amount of puzzle platformers because they're inherently cheaper and easier to make. Um, but the difficulty is that when you when everybody's making the same kind of game or the same genre, um, it, it's, it becomes pointless because no one's going to buy it unless you're a rare... Um, outlier and and the problem is that too many people think they're going to be the outlier rather than trying to build an audience you know everyone thinks they're going to be limbo but they're not and so um i think there you know there's there's always an audience for something but it comes down to it comes down to what your intentions are like are you trying to make a games company and, and be successful if so then it's probably a really it's it's a it's a question that you have to ask yourself seriously and like okay well what do i want how do I build this? What audience? What, what's the audience going to want? What are people buying right now? What do I think people are going to buy in the next couple of years? Um, what's coming out? You know, do some research. You know, what what games are slated for the next couple of years? What themes? What's the mechanics? You know, what what's the combat systems like? What's the exploration systems like? And all that kind of thing. Um, and that will help at least inform you of what not to do for the most part. So where? Where do you start in that level of research? Where where do you go to try to get an understanding of, of what's coming out in six months, in, in a year, in two years? There's lots of things that you can do. I think the best thing to do, um, and what I like to do, um, is I like to jump on Steam, SteamDB, um, look at release lists, look at you know um, places like um, Reddit on the game developer subreddit and, and look at, you know, Anywhere game, you know, indie developers or developers in general are, are, are congregating to talk about their games and what they're working on. Doing spending time on those places gives you a good indication of what people are working on, what ideas are going back and forth, and at least then you can get a sense of what people are working on overall. Um, but also, you know, tr keeping track of what's successful, like you know, month to month, and look at okay, well, these are the you know the top fifteen games that sold really well in June. Here's the you know here's the next the next month here's the the next set, bunch of set of games that sold well. Are there any patterns in there? Is you know what what's the what are the characteristics of each successful title? Was it you know was it a combination of different things? Was it the quality? Was it the execution? Um, and there's a ton of variables, and it's never it's never going to be you know I wish there was, but there's never going to be like a list that's like this is what you should make in three years time and you will make money. It's never going to happen, right? It's an educated guess at best for a lot of the times and it comes down to a whole bunch of variables including you know quality execution theme idea all that kind of thing but 
it's be- doing that whole exercise is much better than going in completely blind and going, this idea I had in my bathroom while I was on the toilet one time is going to work, right? Like you have to put it to it through its pieces and figure out, is this going to be commercially viable? And then go from there. Um, because if you build it with that intention of like, I this is for my, or this is for the audience and not for me in that sense, it will help you inform design choices in the early stages that will help the game ultimately become more marketable later down the line. So where in all of this, when you're looking at what's out there right now, what's coming, do you need to be looking at AAA stuff or indie stuff or both? Because there's a huge difference and then reality fits in there too. You may want to make a Souls-like game, but you're not going to create Elden Ring on a budget of half a million dollars. Well, no, but you could, but but vice versa, you could create Titan Souls, right? So you could create the indie version of, of Dark Souls in that yeah. sense. I mean, there's stuff that translates regardless of budget, right? Themes translate, um, core, core mechanics can be worked multiple different ways um, and implemented and executed differently. So I think it's, it's healthy to look at the industry as a, as a broad view to look at what's popular. And that way it can inform you of like, hey, people really dig card systems right now. Maybe that's, you know, maybe that's something I should do. Or, hey, I've noticed that nobody's doing um, turn-based environmental stuff anymore. Like, why is that, right? And so, and so vice versa, you can look at stuff and notice, hey, everybody's doing this one thing, so maybe I should try something different. Or, you know, maybe I can implement that thing that everybody's doing because it seems to be working really well you know i mean rpg rpg mechanics are a perfect element to this like you know what was it five 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 ten years ago when every game all under the sun had suddenly had rpg elements no matter what it was everything has rpg elements now right and so it in that's the same principle right everybody looked at like people like hey people really like progression people really like rpg progression let's like implement it into everything um and it works like people love it but you know so, so to show how far back that goes, one of my very first clients when I got into the industry, and we're talking like 1999, implemented what made their game stand out was they implemented RPG elements into an RTS. Didn't get that much credit for it. The game was fairly successful, but then Warcraft 3 did it, and everybody was like, holy shit! And, but, you know, it had already been done. So let's say hypothetically... I realize that there's no turn-based environmental games out there. And I'll be, I'll confess, I don't know what an environmental game is unless we're like doing turn-based save the whales type stuff. But I start making my turn-based element, you know, environmental game. Mm-hmm. And about halfway through development, Firaxis announces something similar or another indie game announces something similar do I just like hang it up and start over? What, how do you adapt? What, so let me put it this way. What should you be worried about in terms of competitiveness? What should you not be worried about? And then how do you adapt midstream? This is a question I get asked too often. The, I think I, I wouldn't start over. I would just continue doing what you were doing. Like at that point, I think, I think it, 
to a certain degree, it's okay to worry about competitors. But we're at a point in the industry right now where there's ne it's never going to return to like, I'm going to have the perfect time to release a game. It's never going to happen again. There's too many games coming out. There's too many people. Like it's ne You're never going to have that one day where you get everything all to yourself and it's all good. It's never going to happen. So you at that point, you just have to focus on what you're doing and showcasing that to the best of your ability and not worrying too much about what's going on elsewhere. I think, you know, obviously being first to something always helps, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to, get the success or um get the recognition for being first i mean i've had many games that have done something and then a big triple a company comes out and announces the ex basically the exact same game six months later and then suddenly we're the ones who are copying right like it's like okay well we, we were doing this for a while now um so um, it's okay to you know look at the competitors and look at what they're doing and, and adjust accordingly but i think at a certain point it just makes sense to focus on what you're doing and doing it well um obviously take into account what they're doing when their release dates are you know you don't want to you don't want to launch your rpg right when you know pathfinder 3 comes out on the same day because that's just going to be a travesty but you know within reason um i wouldn't focus too much on it because i think i think it just it gets you get to a point in development and marketing in general where if you look too much at whatever everybody else is doing you're not going to be focused on what you're doing and that you miss things that you could be doing because you're so focused on what everyone else is doing and you don't, you know, and there's things that you could be doing that um, ultimately maybe some there, your competitors aren't doing, maybe they're not focusing on a specific marketing channel and you could really, you know, hit home there or something like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, th there's no perfect time. There's no perfect scenario. So, you know, I think we all need to stop pretending like there is ever going to be a situation like that ever again. So, you brought up marketing channels, and so let, let's dive in to that point. Well, let's, let's, let's actually have a start before that. While you're building your game, and let's say you've gone through and you've done your market analysis, you understand some of the trends, some of the gameplay mechanics, some of the ways that you can blend stuff. Um, and by blend stuff, it's like you and I have been talking about Midnight Sun. So they basically took XCOM and, and Slay the Spire and mm -hmm. slammed it together and added Wolverine. And now you have you know a tactical turn-based strategy that's based on cards and there's mm -hmm. other ones out there too but that's like the one that the big one that just just comes to mind how do you how do you start planning for your marketing and mainly in how much money you're going to put into this to get your game out there and be seen um you should essentially start planning your marketing from day one i mean there are things that you can do from the get-go when as soon as you announce the game um on the on the social and community side. Um, but you should be planning, you should be planning way ahead. I mean, I think in terms of budgets, I mean, money's always something that people don't like to talk about. Um I think the reality is it depends on the game. You should be expecting to, you know, you should expect to spend a fair amount on marketing if you want it to sell. Because ultimately marketing is it's not about Marketing isn't about making your game good. It's not about making people think that your game is good. Marketing is all about getting eyeballs on your game so that the consumer can make a choice to purchase or not, right? And so with that in mind, it's all about being able to 
get the game in front of enough people so that you, I mean, you're playing the numbers, getting it in front of enough people so that you actually start to get conversions and sales and build up an audience. Um, for a small indie game, I would say that you're going to end up, you know, anywhere between, you're going to end up, end up spending anywhere between 25 and 50 grand base minimum. And that's for a small, you know, one, two person team with no money. Right. I think that's what you should re realistically be expecting. Um, it makes no sense to spend a quarter, half a million dollars in development and spend no money on your marketing. It doesn't make sense. There's no other industry in the world that does that other than this one. There's no, there's no, you know, if you went, if you went to, you know, if, if you were making food products and you went to Walmart, he said, hey, can you put this on our shelves? We'd like to sell this. And they're like, hey, okay, what are you doing for your marketing? He said, oh, we're not going to do any marketing. We're just going <laughs> to stick it on the shelf and hope for the best. They will laugh you out of the fucking store. <laughs> I had like, never thought about it that way, but yeah. yeah. Um, you're you not even going to get picked up to be on the shelf. No. No, I mean, I mean, literally, I've had, you know, it's less common now, but, you know, we still deal in digital um, in physical distribution for some games. And one of the big things that people that these uh, the distributors ask you for is the marketing plan. They say, "Hey, how are you going to get people into my store to buy the game?" Right? Because that's what they're not going to do it for you. They're going to they're going to want you know their 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 contribution is, "Hey, you get to put it on my shelf," and that and that costs money. So that's what you get. And how are you going to get people in there? Right? Like, how are you going to get people attracted to this game? How are you going to get people through the, my front doors? And the idea that you're not going to do anything, you're just going to be like, ah, it'll be okay. Is, is I, I find it like insane. It drives me crazy because it's, it, I've never experienced this in any other industry. No other industry makes a product and then doesn't try and push it to its audience. Like in the, the idea that people are like, well, well, it's it's a good game. It'll speak for itself. It it really won't anymore. Not like, anymore. It just won't. Uh -huh. Nobody cares. No, no, nobody's sitting there going, "Hey, I, I'm going to go look through pages and pages of releases on Steam, see if I can find a gem." Like nobody's doing that. I think. I think it's an insane assertion. And if you look at even like smaller titles, right? Like, um, uh, I can't. Remember. I think they the, the, there was a small gladiator game recently. Um, I can't remember what it was called. I think it was like um, "We Are About to Die." I think it's that. Um, and if you listen to the developer, he did his, all of his own marketing himself, right? Now he didn't. One of the things that, if you listen to him talk about that game, one of the things you, you'll never hear him say is, "Hey, I made this really good game, and I didn't do anything." He worked for like two years on marketing to make it to make that happen. Um, and so, you know, it's crazy to assume that you can just spend a ton of money and on development and, and not really invest in marketing. I mean, marketing costs a lot of money, no doubt. And it's one of those things where for people who don't understand marketing or, you know, aren't ex experiencing it, it is somewhat ethereal sometimes, which it shouldn't be. It's not like you're just going to throw money down. If you know what you're doing, you're not throwing money into the, you know, into the ether and hoping for something, right? That there's a there's a process and there's there's a way to do it properly, um, but yeah. All right, so we've got two questions back to back from, from the audience. So first one from Discord, 
what would you say is an okay ratio for marketing to development spend? And that is how we've always thought about it in the past. But the follow on to that is, or should you just plan on spending, you know, for an indie game, 25 to 50 grand, regardless of the budget? Um, you can do it ratio. I would date, I would do like 50% just to be safe. I mean, I would say 40 to 50% is probably going to be good for that. I mean, it really, it really does depend on the genre and the game and the audience size, right? Like you, you let's say, let's say you spend a quarter of a million dollars on development. I would put a hundred grand towards that minimum. That's an expensive game. Yeah. And, and, you know, like the more money that you put towards marketing, think of it like this, the more money you put towards marketing, the more opportunities that you give yourself to be able to hit that right audience that you need. Um, I would also consider um, that the more you also have to factor in that like, hey, maybe I should hire somebody for this, whether it's a PR agency, whether it's an ads agency, whether it's an internal hire, whatever. But having someone who knows what they're doing is key to making your money go further, right? Because you want ultimately every dollar that you spend in marketing to, to give a return for you. And so you have to spend it wisely. Um, but I mean, yeah, I would say half, like half of the money that you spend in development should go like uh, equivalent to half should go to marketing because otherwise you're just, you're really limiting. I mean, you're cutting your feet from under you straight away without investing in your marketing properly. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's an odd conversation to have. And it's something, I mean, we, me and you have talked about this many times, but it's an odd conversation that I just find, I find it to be almost like out of body experience when people say to me like, Hey, I made this game and I want people to buy it, but I don't market it. <laughs> it's just the strangest thing. All right. So the follow on question from Twitch, it's like, Arnett says you're saying getting visibility by spending money, but for mm -hmm. me as a game developer, I don't know where to put that money to get visibility. And this is like one of the biggest things that we always see. So, mm -hmm. how? Where? First of all, okay, well, let's break it down. Right. So, you've got multiple marketing channels, right? So, you've got press, like traditional media, websites, you have influencers, YouTubers, Twitch streamers, you've got social media, as in like, will make content and will post content on social media, et cetera, et cetera. You've got social media advertising or digital advertising in general across the board. Um, and so those are kind of your main channels. Now there's, there's, there's additional items like, you know, press kits, physical goods, giveaways, all that kind of thing. But let's, let's go with those four for now. So if you look at that across the board, you go, look at your game so you so what you first want to do when you're deciding on where to spend your money look at the game right because the game if you if you if you're careful if you look at and assess your audience that's going to inform you onto where you want to spend money right so if i take for example let's say game any given game and go okay what's the genre okay so i know what the genre is i know what we're trying to do what's my audience who are my audience well my audience are RPG people who like RPGs, let's say. So okay, people who like RPGs. So where so what do they look like? Do some audience research. Go, okay, well, most people who play RPGs, they're, you know, 20 to 40, let's say, on average. Um, they skew slightly more male, but it's probably maybe like a 55, 45 split. Um so where do they go for their content? And try and try and look at different elements. So for example, 
if my audience, let's say, is like skews older, and I know that people who play like perfect example of this is like, let's say I'm making like a really old school CRPG that's inspired by the original Baldur's Gate, and it's got real time combat, which most people don't like anymore. Um, and I'm doing it like a really old school vibe, right? I know that a 17 year old who loves Call of Duty ain't gonna play that. So I'm gonna be skewing to people who are what, 30 or older, more likely 35 and older, people who played like CRPGs in the 90s. Um, so where are they gonna be? Well, I can guarantee you they're probably not gonna be on Snapchat. So that's probably out straight out of the get go, right? So what social platforms are they going to be in? Well, more than likely, they're going to be probably Facebook and Reddit, right? Because that's that's where old farts like me hang out, right? <laughs> um, maybe they'll be on TikTok, maybe, but most likely those are your two best platforms. So I know that that's where, that's where you know, slightly older audience hangs out. So then that cuts out. It's a process of elimination that cuts out a bunch of social media platforms that you know you're not, you're not, you know, there's no 45 year old male gamer who's got, you know, maybe two hours to game. He's not on Instagram at night, right? He's not sitting there scrolling through Instagram. He's just not doing it. So you can eliminate a bunch of different things just based on thinking about who your audience is. And then based on that, then comes the process of going, okay, well, now I've, you know, I know I want to market on. Facebook and I want to market on Reddit and maybe I want to market on YouTube. Um, I want to, you know, PC gamer is going to be perfect because people who like reading articles um, they're going to be my audience. So I know I need to do press. Um, I'm probably going to skip um, Twitch ads because the, I don't know if they're going to be on Twitch or not. So that kind of thing. So then you can eliminate your channels and then you've got then what you've got left is the things that you're going to think will work. And then you can start testing that out from that point, right? And that's the best, that's the better way to do it because then you don't, what you don't want to do is go the other way around and go, let's spend money on everything and then, and then take away, right? Come up with a theory of who your audience is, where they go, and then test it out. And then you can optimize from that point. Um, that's the better way to do it. It's all about thinking, you know, you've got to put yourself in the shoes of, the consumer. It's all about getting in their head and thinking about where are they going to learn about their games, right? And doing that process is going to be much better than throwing 15 grand on Twitter ads and going, why didn't I get anything from that? Well, because they're not there. That's why. All right. So, and bear with us because we've got so many questions coming in Bring so fast. Yes. Um, all right. So, gamer composer, we'll get to, let me, let me flag you. So, the, all right. So Swarm Creations from Discord says, could you break down what that hundred grand would go to? It can vary, to be honest with you. I mean, um, it, and it, again, it depends on the game. You have, you can't, I hate to say this, and I know this sounds like a really easy way out. You cannot just have like a template campaign and then just follow that template. There's no template that works, right? What, what worked for one game is not going to work for the other. The way, depending on the game, you could siphon it out to three months worth of PR agency work. So press, influencer outreach, maybe do X number of, um, like, I'll give you, let's do a hypothetical so I can give you a full breakdown. So let's say, um, Jay, give me a game. Give me, give me a genre. Turn-based strategy. Turn-based strategy. All right. So got turn-based strategy launching 
let's say August of 23. All right, so and it's an indie game, so the scope is not it's not AAA scope. So I would recommend doing three months of PR, three months run up um, of press and organic influence outreach. That's probably going to set you back about 20, 25K. After that, maybe doing 20 to 30 grand worth of paid influences. And before everybody like attacks me about paid influences, paid influences are very, very useful and very, very effective when done correctly. The way to do paid influences correctly is to make sure that you're actually targeting the right influences and not just spending money on any influences like a lot of people do. A Call of Duty influencer is not going to want to play a turn-based strategy um, and, and his audience is not going to give a shit about a turn-based strategy, so it's probably not worth spending five grand on that guy. Um, there's really good ways to do it and there's also you know creative ways to do it, whether it's like... Um, Total War did a really good thing years ago with Three Kingdoms where they got um, a history YouTuber who does like oversimplified breakdowns of historical events with um, cartoons and they had one done for Three Kingdoms so people understood what time period the game was set in. Like you can do it creatively like that as well. Um, was that extra credit? No, it wasn't. It was um, it was another, it was oversimplified or I can't remember. I think it's called oversimplified, I can't remember. Um, but there's, there's creative ways to do that as well. So, yeah, so you've got 25K. So let's say 25K on that. And then 30K, so 25K on PR. Then you've got 30K, give or take, on paid influencers. Um, maybe you want to do some stuff on um, ads um, for specific marketing channels, like let's say Reddit, YouTube, that kind of thing. Maybe you want to push your trailer out. Um, so maybe you want to do, you know, another 30, you know, 25, 30 spend on there and then give yourself some wiggle room with the, with whatever's remaining to do some um, fun, cool stuff, whether it be, um, you know, to double down on stuff that does work. So for example, let's say you want to do like a physical press kit. Um, we did, we did something recently where we had a game that had, um, we did a fancy game um, and to get interest in um, the game, we, bought like we went down to um five below and bought like these little kids crystals toys as part of a wand it was part of a wand and we pulled the the crystals off the wand threw the wand away and then we were end up with this little crystal and what we did we filled it in with a game key slip and then sealed it up and, and made it look nice and then we sent it to a bunch of influencers and the game got covered everywhere so there's little things you can do like that um but leaving your a little bit of room but yeah that's kind of the breakdown of what i would spend um that on and then at least because at least then you know like you've got a little bit of remainder so you can reinforce stuff that does work and then on top of that you're not um you're not worrying about like for example with ads if the ads aren't performing well you can just cut them off straight away and then increase your budget and then double down on paid influences let's say because paid influences might be giving you like a shit ton of traffic and wish lists so let's do more of that right so you can you can be flexible with it um so yeah that's the way i would do it if that helps all right so if you're talking about that three months of, of marketing and then it's like when do you start are you talking like three months from the time the game's going to launch or three months in the middle or where at what point do you go okay i need to start marketing this it i mean it depends i mean the sooner that you start the better um It also depends on your budget, the game, the targets, your goals, all that kind of thing. Like some some smaller indie games, 
I would recommend a minimum of three months um, right before the game launches. So you can do like an announcement of run up and then hit until launch. So you've got that momentum spilling into the launch. And um, for larger games, especially for games that have a, that, that have a lot of systems or um, have a larger audience, maybe you want to do six months. Um, oftentimes, I always recommend, depending on how you want to do it, I always recommend doing like a block right before the launch. So you've got a couple of months to to build momentum right before the main launch. But maybe you want to do like a couple of months, um, six months in advance or 12 months in advance for the initial announcement. Um, or you want to like, do specific activations dotted around in the build the year build up to do like an announcement, a couple of events, and then do like a, a big block for the launch. Um, there's lots of ways to do it. There's no like one size fits all. It really depends on the game and the goals and everything like that. Um, but you always want to do at least depending, you know, you always want to do a sizable um, campaign pre-launch because once your launch is done, it's done. And there's stuff that you can do. There's tons of stuff you can do post-launch, but um, you only get one launch, so you're going to make it count. So making sure that you do plenty pre-launch and getting eyeballs on it is is absolutely critical. Um, and that you know, there's always exceptions to the rule, and, and and bear in mind, there's always going to be exceptions to the rule on on everything that we talk about today. But um, you know, you can't you can't base your success on trying to be the exception to the rule because um, that's just bad business, you know. All right. So if if, uh, if an indie game studio or two people don't have twenty thousand dollars for marketing, does that mean that the game isn't worth it to be marketed by a PR company? Indies barely have enough money for development, so how do they apply for marketing funds somewhere? That's a good question. Um, I, I don't think it doesn't mean that the, if if the developers don't have money, does it mean the game isn't worth anything? It doesn't mean that I wouldn't, as a PR company, I wouldn't want to, but. I'm, I, you know, I also have to pay the bills, so I can't do things for free, right? <laughs> it doesn't mean it's not. It's not to do with worth, right? I mean, there's lots of games, for example, that come across my table that have tons of money, and I say no to because I don't think the game's good. I don't think it's got what it takes. I don't think it's going to be. Um, I don't think the quality's there, uh, and vice versa. There's games that come across my table that I think um, that you know the indie developers like. Hey, I don't have any money. Can we do a rev share, which we don't do? Um, and he's like, I don't have any money. And I, and I look at the game and I think, God, if I had a half a million dollars, I'd have made that smash it. Like, you know, there's it, there's there's all kinds of situations and, and it's tough. And, and, and don't get me wrong, I understand that, especially if you're an indie, it can be real tough and real disheartening to look at the budgets of some games and go, I would never have that kind of money to spend on marketing. Um, there are things that you can do um, in terms of on your own in terms of applying for funds there's quite a few companies that um that do provide funding for stuff depending on um where you're at in development and that kind of thing um so you can you can definitely apply for funds you can apply for grants um depending and, and obviously there's different countries also have like regional stuff as well like I always get jealous. I always feel for. I always feel jealous for Canadian developers because of the Canada Media Fund because they just get like all kinds of money for stuff. Millions, um, yes. And and it's like and and you know devs from other countries don't get anything like that kind of support. Um, but you know, there's definitely resources that you can use. Um, I know you guys have got like a bunch of like resources. Um, uh, yeah, I was going to say 
Um, we've got a client that does exactly that. Um, and just if you're interested, DM me somewhere, email me, DM me on Discord, Twitter, whatever. But we have a client that specifically, they're an investment client. They invest in the marketing or the porting of games that they feel are going to be successful, but they don't have the money to do the marketing. And so, you know, it's not like a grant, it's an investor. So they're going to want to return on that. But I mean, we are on the consulting side, actively looking for games that are six months out from launch that need anywhere from, you know, a hundred to 500 grand from, for marketing. And so, yeah, there are avenues for it you but you gotta dig, there's not a ton of them you gotta dig around and a yeah. lot of it is country-based stuff but i know of at least probably half a dozen investment firms that do that sort of stuff sign up today for the indie game business newsletter it's a weekly source of business news curated for indie dev teams. We've got discounts on all indie game business events and events from all of our partners. You get a first look at the summaries and takeaways from all of our podcasts. There is exclusive opportunities for promotions and early access to new tools for development, monetization, and more. Check it out. Sign up. PowellGroupConsulting.com slash publisher dash list. Yeah. And, 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 you know, if, if you're ever concerned about like trying to find stuff like that or trying to get advice on what you should do and what, what path you should take myself included and, you know, ask a PR company, ask a consulting firm, ask somebody who knows what they're talking about. And more often than not, they're happy to give you like really good free initial advice and, and set you on a path to at least where you'll be able to find out more information about different stuff so you know don't be afraid to ask people um what to do and that kind of thing because you know especially if you don't know where to start even looking it's worth it's worth having that conversation with somebody all right uh what <laughs> dan just posted in discord we are maxed out on questions for right now um so if we were more indie size you do 10 25k in dev cost and 10k in marketing or does it not scale properly on that side of the you know, no the smaller you get i mean think of it like this right um it's the same principle with like ad spend Sp spending 5k in ads is not going to go anywhere it's like a drop in the it's a drop in the in the ocean so to speak you have to spend kind of a you have to kind of have a sizable enough budget where you're going to hit the point where you've got enough eyeballs on it in that sense um, otherwise, you're just never going to get a return um, in that way. So, you know, even if your game only costs, you know, 30000 to make, um, doing a budget of like 10 k is probably not going to get you much of anywhere. I would always recommend going higher. But again, it, it really depends. It, again, it does depend on your, your goals and what you're looking to achieve and what, what, what you view as commercial success, right? Because... There are things that you know that that play into that, but um, no, I mean, I would say like a minimum, like the bare minimum of like a good, a, a decent budget, especially for like a really small game, 
um, that you just want to sell a bunch of copies um, is probably going to be around the 25, 30K mark minimum. And keep in mind, too, you know, we're talking about commercial success. We're not talking about everybody's going home rich and buying a G6 plane. I mean, though, your bar to hit commercial success on a game that's costing you 30 grand, that another 25, 30 grand yeah. in, you know, marketing is much lower than somebody whose budget just for the game itself is a quarter million dollars. So, yeah. Um, so, uh, <laughs> Jean Valjean can love that. Um, how much would you have to make and how many units would you have to sell to be considered commercially successful? Well, that depends on um, what your break-even point is, I suppose. <laughs> oh, wait, Dan, put the part two back up there. I didn't see that part. Oh, wait, we'll get to that in a second. <laughs> wait, yeah. so how, how much is commercially successful? Well, I mean, I mean, commercial, commercially successful, I mean, it's different for everybody, right? Like if I make a game that costs me 30 grand and I only need to sell you know, 5,000 copies to, to be into profit, then I'm commercially successful once I'm into profit, right? Basically, for the most part. Um, if you're looking for like a more wider spread version of commercially successful in terms of, hey, we broke even and sold a lot more copies on top of that and have the critical acclaim and all that kind of thing. Again, it depends on the game. Um, I would say that like to be, if, if you can sell enough copies to where not only have you broken even and not only have you made profit, but you've you're well into making times two profit, um, times two return on the investment you made in development and marketing, and then you can start funding your next game. I think that's fairly commercially successful. Um, but it, it depends, right? I mean, commercially successful for you internally might not mean commercially successful uh, public perception wise, right? Like, if you're looking for commercially successful from public perception, then obviously selling um, tens, if not hundreds of thousands of copies is probably more the way that you want to go on that side. Um, I mean, we've we've had a couple of what what you would could you would say is commercially successful from a public a public opinion standpoint recently, um, and they sold. I would say I would say anything over. If you get to the point where you're selling over like you know seventy five thousand copies and you're well on your way to 100k or more um you're at that point you're you would be considered commercially successful by everybody regardless of probably regardless of if you made money back or not yet um so yeah i mean it's it, it's a variable definition depending on um what you're I mean, literally as long as you won made your money back and someone just pointed out on reddit assuming you're accounting for your own wage in there you know if you've worked on your own on the nights and weekends for three years on a game and spent $15,000 on contractors, that does not mean your budget is $15,000. You've got to factor in all of that time you spent there, but yeah, at the bare minimum, if you made a profit, but realistically you need to make a profit and have enough left over to fund your next game that you want to do. So you don't run out of money. Yeah. Doesn't time frame you... time frame is also important as well like i wouldn't you know if if it takes three years to make it to break even um it's probably well yeah that's true too not commercially i mean but again it, it's one of those things it's a moving goalpost because for example if take a triple a game right triple a game sells like three million copies first month you would you would view that as commercially successful but the question is did they make their money back Right, that's that's the question. Because if they didn't, then technically it's not. But by any outside appearance, it is commercially successful, right? Um, 
so it really comes down to um it really comes down to you know the the, the internal metrics mixed with the the perception but i mean i think you know if you spent you know quarter million dollars on a game and you spend another 100k or so on marketing and you sell let's say you launch on steam or you know whatever platform and you sell um let's say you know let's say 90,000 copies within the first month then you're commercially successful you know because you, your tail end of that is going to be real strong i'd like to chime in just for a second just i don't know why anybody would want to start like hey guys let's make a game let's let's spend all of these weekends and nights working our butt off all together for free to make a game and then we have no idea oh are we going to market it i don't know i didn't think about that all of this stuff that you got to figure out and then you got to put it on a marketplace and hope people buy it I have no idea why anybody would want to do that. But that is a that is a that's the reason we do these shows because that is a huge right. It's perception like people problem. are so passionate about that, and I'm like, I mean, I made a game right, and it did amazing. Not really, it did terrible. Um, but I made a game, and and you know, and uh, I was miserable. That's not for me. <laughs> But it's like people are just so passionate about it, right? And just learning it. And I just I just find that amazing. Anyways, I just wanted to chime in. All right. So pop the second part of that for that last question up here. Because this is important because it's it, just to prove that there are no guarantees. I mean, full disclosure, my first company was a production firm. And we did contract development. And then we started doing original development after that. Our first game did really well. Our next two failed catastrophically, and hence I started a consulting firm. Just because you know all this, and Michael spoke to this at one of our conferences, you can still do everything right and fail. I mean, I knew this business when I did that. We still didn't, you know, turn out the money. All right. So that next question, that last question, Dan, what was that? All right. So what you've seen, how often do games that give their best effort with their marketing actually obtain that goal? Hmm. Um, that's a complicated question. Um, I can only speak from my experience. I mean, I mean, I've had games that have not sold as well as I'd have liked to. It happens, right? Um, there's no, there's no guarantees. There's no, you know, you, you can do you can do the best marketing campaign. You can make a really good game, and it just flops. And, and sometimes that happens. I mean, it's 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 rare. It's not it's not one. I mean, it's, it's not like guaranteed that it's going to happen a lot, but it does happen. I mean, all you have to do is look at you know, <laughs> just look at um, Cliffy B's games the past the last two he made. I mean, that um, that first person shooter one with the no gravity thing. I mean that. Had, millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars spent in development and marketing and nobody cared about it um yeah. instantly um i think ultimately it comes down to execution like with game development the execution of design is critical to the success of anything and the same applies with marketing you can have a really good plan but with poor execution that really good plan's not going to go anywhere um, so it's important to make sure that the people who are executing the marketing plan um, know what they're doing and know how to do it. And so, you know, it's one of those things where there's no guarantees in the success, but I think the chances of success, or at least getting to a point where you're not 
in the hole for hundreds of thousands of dollars um, is increased exponentially when executed correctly because ultimately there you know there are if you've got an audience the game's good the game appeals to that audience even if you don't get those sales all at once at, at the very start at least there's the opportunity over the 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 game's life cycle to to be able to sell the copies that you need to sell to make it um to make it back um but yeah i mean the idea is that it all goes well and it, and it hits the targets that it wants to um and more often than not that happens but I mean, and I say that from my experience, but that's also because, I mean, we choose our, our games pretty carefully. So, um, you know, it's it's a little bit of a cheat that way, I suppose. And, and sometimes the universe just shits on you. I mean, let's say hypothetically you were putting out a D&D-based combat game in the last two weeks or even the next two weeks after this. You know, the, comp the, the higher-up company completely shot themselves in the foot. And there's nothing that you can do to influence that, but all of a sudden you're releasing a D and D game as an indie dev and, you know, banned D and D is like trending on Twitter. And, and so you have it, we had it happen years ago when I worked with the publishing firm, we put out a wonderful downhill skiing game right at the time of the Olympics. All of that stuff should have been tracked out. Uh, we based it on Bodie Miller, who was the big, skier at that time and then all the news came out about how he basically skied drunk and all this bad press around him and the game just died nothing we could do about it i mean yeah. that shit does happen um yeah but, i mean yeah. I, I mean vice versa i mean you look at look at something like among us right is a perfect example of this like among us when they marketed their, their initial launch nobody cared right and then they were willing to development on their second game when suddenly the game got picked up you know, a year or two later by a bunch of Twitch streamers. And then suddenly it's the most popular game on <laughs> on the internet for like six months, right? And that just goes to show you that um, sometimes good games, things happen, right? And and it doesn't mean that the game, just because you, your launch isn't what you want it to be, doesn't mean that the game's over in that sense. There's stuff that you can do post-launch and that can be done marketing-wise post-launch that can, that can really do stuff, especially if you've got like a good solid post content um post launch content plan um for updates and things like that yeah law, law breakers that's what it was called yeah law breakers all right dan what we got next how do you know when a product is not good enough and not worth spending any more budget into marketing that's that's yeah that's that's an interesting question because it kind of i mean from in my job it's a little bit art mixed with science in other people's jobs, it's more science than art. Um, it depends on what stage it is. So if the stage is like pre-launch and it's still conceptual or like, you know, that kind of thing, I can, I've kind of been able to start developing a really good feel of like, this isn't going to turn out well because of, I don't see, you know, for what you're making and where this game is, it's not quite matching right now. Um, Post-launch, I think, you just have to have an honest and objective look at your numbers and go, okay, well, how much am I spending in marketing? What's my return looking like? What's my traffic? What's my wish list? What's my conversion rate? What's my cost per click? Um, uh, is this, it, it, has it improved at any stage over time? Like, okay, I, you know, I'm two months past launch. I've spent two months worth of ads or whatever. Um, and it's not improved 
even though I've made changes and tried to optimize and done all these things, it's not improved. At that point, I'd look at it and go, if there's no like sign of life anywhere and there's no hope at the end of the tunnel kind of thing where you, you're just in a situation where, oh, maybe I just haven't optimized or quite nailed it yet, um, then I think you have to have an honest look and say, this is, you know, it's not, it's not going to work. Um, and that, that conversation sucks. And it especially sucks when it's something you've created yourself because you never want to be like, I made something that failed. Um, but look at it like this. There's a ton of, there's a ton of ways that you can um, learn a, a bunch of lessons from even failure. I mean, look, oh, yeah. I mean, PR companies like mine um, and marketing companies like mine, we always promote our successes, right? But we've had failures too. Um, and we learn from those failures. And that's that's ultimately what makes good games is learning from your failures. And it's the same with marketers. What makes good marketers is not the successes don't count as much as the losses because the losses are the ones where you really learn the lessons of like, I should not do that again, or I could do that better. Or I should make sure I should do this next time. Um, and and so, you know, it sucks, but there's, there's things that could be valuable that come out of failure, but it does suck when it happens. I mean, there's nothing worse, especially when, you know, I've, I've had conversations with, with developers over the years where I know that, you know, this guy has put his house on the line yeah. for this game and it didn't, and no. people didn't like it and didn't sell. And it's, it's like, it's a heart wrenching conversation. Um, but yeah, it happens. All right. So how much time do you have? Because I know we we're oh, just keep them coming. We're all good. All right. It's Actually, Friday. Hey, part of the next one. With marketing, how much of a budget should go into making your own website or hiring a web designer? Part of which, would it be wise to have Twitch and YouTube integration in the website for any influencers that might play test the game? What was the first part? Is it worth... Dan is like on the damn ball. Making your oh. own website. Um, I always recommend making a website. I mean, it doesn't hurt. I mean, it's, it's, it's nice to have somewhere where you know if you search for the game on google it pops up and there's a place where you can get information about the game um the key for a good website is you don't have to make it too fancy at all i always recommend honestly like to be honest with you unless your game is like heavily tailored towards twitch and influencers like it's like it's one of those games where it's it's um What's that? Fall Guys. It's like Fall Guys-esque where you, it's kind of the success depends upon this game going viral with influencers. I wouldn't bother. Like, I think f for me, what makes a good website and what's, and, and what's important about a, a website is having a visual look that's nice and appealing so that it sends a good first impression. It has links to a press kit. It has links to contact information. And that's it. Like you don't really need much else. If you want to do something fancy that makes sense for the game that you're making, then cool. Like be my guest. But I don't see any reason outside of that very specific instance where it makes a ton of sense to invest a shit ton of money into a website. Like, what's the point? Just go on Squarespace and make it for like forty bucks. Like, well, or Xola. Xola's got a yeah, a yeah. toolkit that you can just go on and and build it. I mean, from so, so you don't have to spend a ton of money and you don't need no. something ridiculously fancy, but you do need a presence. And, you know, it also goes along with like one of my biggest pet peeves. If you have a website and you have a URL, you also have an email address. Stop sending business emails from a Gmail address, you know. So, but there are 
cheaper ways to do it. But yeah, I mean, unless it. yeah, unless you're doing something really fancy with the because the because the game requires it or whatever, I would go really cheap. But just make sure it's done well, um, because you, the website's sole intention is not. It, to be honest with you, the website's sole intention is not really to attract players. The website's sole intention is so that press and influencers know how to contact you and and know how to find more information about the game because what you don't want is an, is is like say you know you don't want um, Andy at PC Gamer googling your game and not being able to find you it, because they did like establishes people, legitimacy yeah because it it does it establishes the legitimacy but it's also it, it it could be the difference between someone covering your game and not because press and influencers do not have time to go through searching through pages and pages of websites or you know um, social media pages to try and find contact information they'll look and if they can't find it within let's say like you know 30 seconds they're out that's all you got and and that goes true for publishers as well because that's why they hire teams like mine to do their scouting is because a lot of times tracking down the teams is like the hardest part of it and it's like there's nothing more frustrating than somebody some developer saying hey look we need a publisher and then you can't find how to actually get in touch with them so i know i i can't i can't describe the frustration i sometimes feel when i see a really cool game on steam and i can't find any contact information about the developer because all i want to do is tell them how excited i am for a game and let's have a conversation about how we can make it really big because it's got tons of potential and they've got no they've got no website no social media no email address it's like but there you go all right, what's next? <laughs> All right, so Tim from Discord <laughs> says, can you expand more on that? The tons of stuff you can do after launch. What you're trying to you're trying, don't don't call me out on my vagueness. That's just unacceptable. <laughs> what is that? You don't put me on the spot like that. Now that I've got to, now I've got to come up with ideas and back up what I said. Um yeah, I mean it depends depending on the game you can do i mean obviously some a lot of games do post launch content plans now so you can do pr centered around like major updates that kind of thing you can also do um influencer waves so we do post launch influencer waves um especially for games that maybe didn't reach the potential of like have a biggest the biggest launch that they could ever have um like we've had we've had clients for example indie clients that they went to launch their game um didn't really have any money for marketing so they did it all themselves didn't really achieve what they could have achieved but got enough sales to then reinvest that money into into marketing right so we did like we went back and did um influencer pushes um outreaching to influencers um sometimes coupled with a with a content update sometimes not um you can do um PR beats, stuff like interviews, stuff like maybe we want to um, do um, bylines where you explain about like you, you tell the story of the studio, like how you know uh, two guys in a garage went from that to now a semi decent flat because of the game, um, all that kind of thing. That's um, your objective to get to a semi decent flat. Yeah, I mean you could do advertising pushes. So we've done we've done stuff where. Um, I did one recently where there were, you know, a game had launched. And it was pretty, it was pretty successful for its most part. But um, 
the advertising wasn't done particularly well, and so they want they they want you to look at um, redoing the advertising to hit the target audience because they feel like they missed the mark on on the digital advertising side. Um, and so you know we can you can do that kind of thing um, because you have to remember like you you your your launch there's no time limit on sales right like your launch isn't like everyone's going to buy it or it's never going to sell right that's not that's not how that works anymore particularly with you know particularly with pc gaming right just look at the steam replay this year how many people bought new games how many played new games how many and versus how many people bought and played a game that was year a year or older right like it's a big big number that most you know like i think it was like over 90 percent of people were playing games that were a year or more older versus new releases and so you have to factor that into your marketing and go like oh so you what you're saying is if i launch in august 23 in august 24 when that rolls around and it's the steam sale that could be a really big sale for me and so maybe you want to do a push for that some you know maybe you want to do a push for that an advertising push try and get you know try and spend some money to get get it into a point where you've got a lot more sales coming in consistently and again with advertising it's like anything it's about roi so if i'm spending if i'm getting a sale for every two dollars i spend i get one sale and that sale is worth eight dollars to me then there's really strong roi on that right so um there's all kinds of things you could do, and you could go even more creative than that as well. Like you can do, you know, fun, weird stuff um, with plushies and and all that kind of stuff. But you know, it, it really depends. Again, it, it comes it's down to easier this. now that we've got to. In some ways, it's harder. Some ways, it's easier now that we've got to a point where games aren't just like fire and forget anymore. There's ongoing post-launch content. There's DLCs. There's all kinds of stuff that can be done, and all of that gives you ways in which to market stuff. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there's ton, but I mean, and there's also you know game specific stuff that you can do depending on, yeah, the game as well. All right, Dan's got to roll soon, so pop the next two part question up there, and then I'll, I'll take care of the questions from here. In comparison to net direct marketing, how valuable is network and word of mouth? This is actually literally the discussion we're having on the Discord right now. If you do not have enough funding or a publisher doesn't have enough marketing budget, can an industry network and an influencer network make up for it? That's a good question. Um, first off, if a publisher doesn't have enough marketing budget, they're not a good publisher for a start. Um, I'd be worried about that. <laughs> the um, there's the, certainly word of mouth can take you a certain ways, right? Um, but it all comes down to scalability ultimately, because it's if you have ten people saying your game's really good, how how scalable is that long term? It's tough. Um, the same goes with like influencer network. Um, organic influencers can be super powerful, um, but it but it could but you know there's a lot of variables within word of mouth, and ultimately, like anything, it has to reach a crescendo of enough people have heard about it to then start rolling. You know, it's the snowball rolling down a mountain kind of thing. You've got to be able to get enough momentum in that to be able to build up. Because if it just stops somewhere flat, then it doesn't go anywhere. Um, so it's tough to be able to rely solely on word of mouth. And and you know, networking is a great tool. Don't get me wrong, and it can be, and it can sometimes you know create something that's make or break in that sense. Um, but it's tough to network yourself 
um, and only yourself sometimes because obviously you're you're dealing with a lot of competition that are also trying to claw for attention at any one time. Um, so it's not it's 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 valuable certainly, but it's one of those things where I wouldn't count on it in any in any sense of the word. And I think obviously you know for for a developer that's for an indie developer that's, that that has nothing, let's say you've got nothing, you've got no resources available, then you've just got to use what you got, right? You just got to go out there, talk about your game to people, and tell people about it, and that's all you can do. And you know. And cool. I've done that myself many times for people. Like, you know, it's tough, it's rough, but you know, there's no there's there's no disrespect there. Like that's it's a tough thing to do and it's a tough sell. And and you know, for the people who do it and, and succeed doing it, then you know, all power to you. Um, but you know, it's one of those things that I wouldn't it's it would not be my preferred choice. We'll put it that way. All right, so for some reason, we are actually almost through all the questions, and I didn't even get to the ones on mine, but we may hit some of these too. Um, the next one coming from Discord, what gets more games sold? Games on sale or newly released games? Um, it depends, honestly. I mean, sometimes, sometimes games have sold more at launch than they have on sale. Sometimes games have sold more on sale than they have at launch. I mean, it, it, it's it's quite variable. Um, it depends on how popular the game is, really. I mean, the more popular the game, the more likely it is that they're going to sell well first, you know, at launch, or at least. And it depends what you define by launch. I mean, I, I usually define launches in like the first one to three months, let's say. Oh. Um, I mean, because that's how I do my that's how I do my budget estimations and my. Uh, um my forecast um but i so yeah i mean tends to be that more popular games will sell better at at, at at um at launch and then you know they'll still sell well but you know you're talking about a whole different bunch of variables depending on how popular the game is i've had games that have sold moderately well at, at, at launch and then have went on to have like a massive sale in like the winter sale because they did a huge discount um and then and then, for example, one of the campaigns that we did a couple of years ago, games a game launched, sold okay, wasn't massive or anything like that. And then we waited to the the the, the following Steam sale was the Steam Winter sale. We put the game on a large discount and coordinated a influencer outreach program where we got a whole bunch of influencers to cover the game right at the start of the sale, and we ended up selling double the numbers. Um, from what we did from launch in that Steam sale because of the the, the awareness coupled with the discount, um, so it can it can it can really can vary. It just depends on on what happens. Is there a magic number on the discount that you need to shoot for? Uh, there's no magic number. I always so for a launch discount, I always do ten to fifteen percent, no more than that. Um, for a Steam sale. It depends on where the game is in its life cycle. I always like to go in thirds, kind of. Um, so for the first sale, I always like to do like a 30%, 33% discount. And then for the following sale, maybe go 50. And then once the game's like a year or two old, I usually do like a 75, 80% discount. Um, but you can play around with it and see what works, what, what works best. It also depends on the price of the game as well as like, because I look, I, I consider the price of the game and what the money is going to be after the sale, and I also consider, um, like, the current wish list count 
um, and the popularity as well. So if, 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 for example, I know my game converts really, really well at like 50% consistently, I probably wouldn't do an 80% sale. I would just kind of keep it around the 50, 60% until it got to the point where the numbers weren't, you know, people weren't buying it anymore. And then I would up it. All right. So we're let's, let's do next fest and, and wish list. So you had eight of the top wish listed game, eight of the top 10 wish listed games were you were a factor in on the mm -hmm. next fest. So what are your top tips for approaching next next fest, what to do in it, how to move up that ladder? Sure. So the way that, um, we do our next fest campaigns. We start our next fest campaigns almost like six weeks before next fest. Um, the way that the algorithm works right now, as far as I understand it, is that your placement in the next fest is determined by the weeks leading up to the next fest in terms of traffic and wish lists. So the more wish lists and traffic that you get um, in the in the the few weeks right before the next fest will determine your placement in that. Um, so what we do is we run campaigns where we do outreach campaigns right up until, so we have influencers, for example, because what a lot of people are doing with NextFest, they're like, okay, we're doing a bunch of events during NextFest. And it's like, well, okay, but so is everybody else. So you're all competing at the same time. Whereas what we're doing, we're having influencers and large influencers play the game the week before or the two weeks before. And so we're getting huge spikes in wish lists of traffic, right? Right before. And then so the next list comes around, the algorithm kicks in, and it's going, Oh, this game achieved like fifty thousand wish lists in six weeks, right before us. You're going on the front page because this is really popular, right? And so that's how we're that's how we do it. Um and so we're built it's almost like a, it, we're treating it almost like a launch, like a game launch, where you're building momentum up in the weeks building up. And then you're doing you're obviously still doing stuff on the week, but you're you're doing a bunch of stuff to build up momentum and then having the next fest as the as the crescendo rather than the the start and, and middle and end. So in many ways, by the time next fest actually happens, you're too late. Yeah. Uh all right. So wish list. And this was a question on on Twitter this week from Jason De La Roca. Um all things being equal, is there a number of wish lists that's impressive when you're considering a game pitch? Is 10K wish list the ooh impressive benchmark, or does it need to be more? So, for the sake of you know rankings on Steam, or for the developers that are out there trying to pitch to publishers and find it, mm -hmm. is there a magic number for wish lists? And if not, what is factoring into all of that? Um. There's no magic number. I mean, the more wish lists they have, the more impressive it is, obviously. Um, I think for me, um, anything, if you get, if you're able, like, let's say, with, are, are, we, are we talking about with no marketing or with marketing? We have to assume with marketing. I mean, well, okay, well, let's, let's say, how are you going to get 50,000 wish lists without having any sort of marketing? I've seen it happen. Really? And that's like, I mean, when we're talking about marketing, we're not just talking about things that are going into, you know, money being spent on marketing. We're talking about developers going in and posting about their shit on Reddit or Twitter, because that's still yeah. marketing. I mean, I think for, for me, 
Um, I mean, bearing in mind, you've got to look at the numbers, right? So if if you have, I think I think it's like 10,000 wish lists. If you have a 10,000 wish lists or more, that puts you in like the top like 10% of games on Steam, which is insane. I mean, that, that's how many games are on Steam. Think about that. Well, yeah, that's true too. Um, I think from a starting point, if a developer comes to me and says, hey, I want to do marketing, we haven't really done much. We've done some you know, small stuff here and there and that kind of thing. If they come to me with more than 10k wish lists, then it's it's a better, at least somewhat better of a situation than coming and saying, "Hey, I've done a bunch of marketing stuff and I've only got 800." <laughs> well, yeah, no, 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 I agree there. There's a ratio um, involved, but you know, I think I look. I mean, I view numbers as as simple as this, right? I mean, wish list is a great metric. It's not the be all and end all, though. I th- and. Uh, you know, I track wish lists very carefully because it's a really great, it's a really great tool for me to be able to quantify the success of our work because I can look at the line go up when I did something and I go, yay! Um, <laughs> do I think that inherently though is the the thing that's going to be defining? No, I don't. I mean, I've seen games that have you know a hundred thousand wish lists and they've sold nothing. Because so, right, so, wish, wish lists are inherently they're not equal. There, there's there's yes. quality to be involved. Quantity is not everything. There's quality that I've seen games where they've had tens and tens of thousands of wish lists. Told me I, I had one developer tell me I don't need you. I have a bunch of these wish lists, and I said okay, good luck. And then they went and, and it was vindication because they didn't sell anything. Was, and that's not you know to say that I wanted that to happen, but they were quite rude. Um, <laughs> And so, but you know, wish list wish list number by and of itself is not inherently a good indicator of what's going to happen because there's um, you can get a lot of wish lists and not have enough quality wish lists to to turn conversion into something. And you also have to bear in mind that um, the average Steam conversion rate on wish lists is only around like seven to ten percent, I think. Um, and so, if you have a hundred thousand wish lists or hundred fifty thousand wish lists, seven percent of a hundred thousand is not all that much. Um, and so, you know, trying to estimate your sales based on wish lists alone is 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 kind of a an odd business um, to do. Um, so, I mean, obviously, the more wish lists the game has, it's a it's a nice indicator of popularity. It's a nice indication of interest. It is not an indication. I don't take it as an indication, however, of sales or success in that sense. Um, there's more that goes into it than just that. Is there a way for developers to check get a barometer of anything on wish list if it's not their own game and they're not looking at the steam dashboard in what way well it's like if i want to go and say okay here are these games that are in the same genre as mine is there a way to see how many wish lists or even estimate how many wish lists a game has if you're not the person no that- I don't think so. Not at least not accurately. What I what I usually do is I usually go on um, Steam DB and look at the followers and see if the, the game's popular in terms of followers. And then I also look at um, I go on the top wish listed games on Steam. The first hundred of those are pretty much going to be anywhere upwards of fifty thousand wish lists are up. Um, and then the closer you get to the top, like fifty, the, the top thirty or so is going to be like a couple hundred to thousand or up. Um, so I look at like similar things in my genre and, and able to, you know, cross reference that. Um, so, but there's no there's no one hundred percent easy way to do it. But yeah, 
that's the way I would do it. All right. So we're down to one of our last questions here. If you've got a question, do me a solid because Dan's in a meeting now and he's not like monitoring Discord as well as I am. Drop it in the video chat. Um, but I am watching the other ones. So from Lee, what are your thoughts on early access? Does it differ when the devs are releasing with or without a publisher? Um, I liked I liked Lee's podcast the other day. By the way, I watched it. Um, the uh, for me, I mean, I have complicated thoughts on early access now. Um, I think it it does it does differ. Um, so the data suggests that releasing an early access with a publisher is going to net you more sales on average than releasing without a publisher across the board. Um, how much by? It's difficult to say. Um, but across the board, it tends to be if you release with a publisher on early access, you're going to get you're going to sell more. Um, I think that comes down to a couple of different things. One, I think there's a little bit more. Um, maybe there's a little bit more of confidence in the product because there's a publisher involved. Um, but for me, overall, the data also suggests that early access across the board is declining um, in both success uh, um, and. Um, value and there's a couple of reasons for that so i mean i've still launched games this year even that have been very very successful in early access like sold large amounts of, of copies um but i think steam is steam involved have inherently made early access a little bit harder um and and it's also been a decline in perception across the board from the average consumer um because there's been a lot of early access games that have spent too long in early access or haven't you know have been abandoned whatever it may be there's also the situation where the steam rules now say that you cannot um you're launching early access you can do a discount but once you're out of early if you leave early access and increase your price you cannot do a discount so you couldn't you can't do a discount for your full launch the only way to actually do it now is to increase your price more than 30 days before that you leave early access um and so you have to increase your price during early access because you cannot increase your price and have a discount within the same time period. Um, wow. There's, there's also, I don't know, because they, they say so. That's why. Because okay. <laughs> <laughs> the, the mass, you know, that's what they do. They just decide things and that's that. Um, there's also the situation where early access games um, on launch can don't now show up on the new and trending tab on the front page of Steam. Oh. That's also a massive um, game discovery issue that has occurred with um, early access. Um, one of the reasons that our, one of our games did so well um, this, this last year in early access is because we sold, we, we, we managed to get the game popular enough beforehand and sold enough copies where it actually um, hit the top sellers list and then was given its own large banner uh, because it was so popular. Um, and that's the only way we got front page placement on Steam for an early access launch. Um, so there's a lot of barriers to entry with that now. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, early access is inherently not, for me at least, at least from what I've seen, especially over the last 12, 18 months, it's not as inherently as attractive for developers as it once was. Um, I think, and also that the issue is, when it comes to wishlist conversion as well, like if you're planning to be in early access for a long period of time, all those wishlists that you get at that early access launch 
might not convert by the time you get there, especially if your game is like 12 months old, uh, you know, your early access period is 12 months or, or longer. Um, the, the best early accesses I've seen um, usually run like less than six months. Um, and that way the, the, those wish lists are pretty relevant and, and fresh. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's tough. Like, I mean, there's so many elements to everything. <laughs> What it really takes for commercial games to actually takes everything. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's what what it really takes for commercial game success. It takes everything. I mean, the, but I mean, it's kind of true. I mean, the reality is that you have to look at everything. You have to. You have. You can't just focus on one thing and then hope that one thing takes you there. You have to plan like like you would any other business and be like, okay, we have to look at everything and and, and execute this correctly. Um, it doesn't mean. And don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to say that everything has to go right, because it won't. It just won't, right? But you have to allow for the ability for something to go really well, right? And so, it, you know, it takes, um, it take it does take everything. But when you do everything right, or at least try to do everything right, then it's better than not doing a bunch of stuff and then hoping that everything goes right. Yes. But you have to do marketing. All right. Um, I think that's actually all of the questions that we got through. That's amazing. And it only took us an hour and a half. Um, as always, I mean, Michael's in our Discord. So if you've got more questions and you want to pile on, you know, more and more, it's Friday afternoon. Um, we're tuned out and doing some work and we're also doing things like this. So ask your questions. Seriously, there's no, there's no dumb questions. I mean, everybody needs to know this guarantee you there's nobody on our discord that's going to ask a question that at least somebody out of the almost 5,000 people on there don't have that same question. So always be willing to ask. Um, all the indie game business announcements, our next event, is coming up March 8th and March 9th. So get a head start on your GDC stuff. Uh, you can go to our website, indiegame.business. I fixed indiegamebusiness.com. So it actually points to the right place now. And I didn't realize I owned that, but I do apparently. Um, go there. The tickets to watch the sessions and all that stuff is always free, 100%. Uh, tickets to do meetings for publishers uh, and marketing firms and investors are 50 bucks. Use friend of IGB for a discount and if it's still out of your pay range that is perfectly fine dm me i will hook you up with a pass because that's why we do this um michael what do you, what do you want to plug other than obviously your wonderful pr agency yeah just that if you want some good if you want um pr or influencer marketing or um digital advertising then um come and have a conversation with me and we can uh Hopefully we'll be able to help. I might tell you no as well though. So at least I'll give you an honest, there's one thing you can guarantee. I'll give you an honest opinion, you know, <laughs> at least I'll say, at least I'll say, no, this isn't going to work. And then you don't have to, you know, spend a bunch of money and then someone tell you that it's not going to work after the fact. Right. Um, so you, and you can if you me. have a wonderful idea, but you can't afford a PR agency, talk to Michael and I, and we may be able to find you some money. Yeah. So yeah, that's it. Next week, we have another wonderful speaker coming up who I don't know who it is off the top of my head. We'll get there. Um, but for the sake, thank you, everybody. Appreciate it. Have a wonderful weekend, and we'll see you next week. Sounds good. Bye.
Thanks for listening to Indie Game Business. You can learn more about the show and our online business networking events at IndieGame.Business.